0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Race Tech Suspension Privateer Island Life. This is number twenty eight uh, in the series, and thank you for listening really appreciate it. Pulpamex seventeen is the code to use at race tech engines and suspension now uh, fantastic bunch of guys. Vince Fries just used race tech at the MEC and uh, of course Mike used race tech uh, for years and to win the Canadian National this year and their motor department is humming along so please take advantage of uh, race tech use the code get your oil changed get something some kind of work done get the right springs for your bike everybody do something race tech. Uh, has got the uh, things that you need for your suspension and chassis and engines, too, of course. Uh, and if you uh, if you get some air forks and you don't like them, they got a spring conversion kit, and uh, Chris Kiefer loves it. So please check them out. Use the code PULPMX17 at Racetech.com. All right, uh, this man on the line here, he's kind of a privateer, uh, kind of not. He's, it's, it's skirting the rules for this podcast, but I don't care. I wanted to touch base with him anyways. Uh, he is Marshall Welton. What's up, Marshall? How are you, man?
1: Yeah, never better. Um hanging out in Michigan right now, just uh kind of waiting. Gonna head down to Charlotte here in a little bit and start some off season training. But uh yeah, just seeing some family back in Michigan. Been gone for like the past eight months. I did the the European championship for uh bud racing and now I'm just back home hanging out.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a real interesting career path that you took. First up though, uh Puerto Rico, the motocross the Nations. um really kind of shitty, sloggy day. It's, it wasn't much fun out there I guess for, for you or for anybody. It looked like outside of uh, Max Anstey. but uh, how'd it go? What'd you think of the experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't beat the experience in like, the field and how many fans there are. Was, that part was incredible, but my riding was quite pitiful and, and it's honestly a little bit embarrassing for me with the amount of times that I crashed and <laughs> the issues that I had, the first moto, all the air blew out of my air forks, and I blame that for my poor performance and then the second moto. I don't know. I mean, I can make a thousand excuses about it. We ended up changing the, the bike on the line because we didn't realize about well, the forks were that bad until I was on the line and you only get like 30 minutes in between anyway. So, oh, geez. um, anyways, though, we, we switched to a new bike on the line, had a death bog right off the go. And I, I don't know. I just was, was really struggling with being comfortable on that bike. And, um, my riding really was quite pitiful, but it was a cool experience. Be able to ride to the like the and, the and the track was like super gnarly too. I mean, I watched the TV and it made it look so easy, but I was just scared for my life because yeah. the sort are of like, they felt like they're 200 foot, and there's just a right. rut going out of the corner, over the face, landing in another rut. You know, it's, it's quite difficult, but it was fun. It was something to look back on.
0: Yeah, you know what, Uh, Kyle Chisholm had the last minute call for fill-in for Puerto Rico for Lomo back in the day, and still jet-lagged, and he got there late, and he's a good sand rider, but it was, you know, a bore bike, and this and that, and at the end of the day, he didn't do that well, but he said he had, it was unbelievable experience, and it really is, I mean, look, I was on Team USA one time in 03 as a mechanic, and uh, not as a rider, in case everybody was wondering, as a mechanic, and uh we lost, and I don't care. It was still a really cool experience, uh, memories to this day, of that of being on it, and you have those now too.
1: Yeah, it, it is like just just like the vibes there and how serious everything is. It's you know you're racing like the best guys in the world from each country, just to be able to say that it's you know it's accomplishment.
0: Absolutely. Um, so MX, uh, EMX this year uh, sixth overall. Uh, riding for Bud Racing, and you jumped up to the MX2 for Dixon Racing. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to know, like, you race. we saw you in America. You had, you were a privateer. You had good results, decent results. How does Marshall Weldon end up for Bud Racing in Europe? Like, how does that go?
1: Um, yeah, like, like you said, I, I had decent results in America, but it's tough one year that, like, any hovering from 10th to 15th, it's like no one really you want to, you know, to give that guy the ride or anything. And I understand because, you know, that the teams need to win. That's what they get the money to do is to win. So I wasn't really doing that here in America. And luckily I had the connection with Darian tonight. Like we lived at Club of Mex together for like four years. And oh, okay. we were pretty good friends over the time. And Darian rode for Bud the year before. Um, he ended up doing really well. He got second in the championship, which led him to the ride with Dixon this year. And uh, anyways, Bud had a deal with, uh, I think, a a rider in California, was Ryan Surratt, Mm -hmm. and um, something fell through with that. I don't know the details or anything, what happened there. But uh, anyways, last minute, the rider, um, like, you know, they, they had a problem. So then they were down to one rider, and it was just Tristan. And I had talked to Stefan with Bud Racing, like, I think it was at the MXGP of Charlotte. I, I met him and shook his hand and everything, and mm-hmm. I told him if he's ever looking for anything, I'd be interested. And um, anyways, they, I think they kind of contacted Darian about getting another rider, um, and luckily Darian recommended me because we're friends and he you knew I was looking for something and kind of fit, you know, fit the description for it. And on my way to Europe, I was. It was a pretty crazy story actually because I was. Um, I had this full intention of doing West Coast Supercross with mm-hmm. uh, the IB Corp racing team, and um, I went out and did a test with them and everything, and everything was pretty much set in stone, and uh, I wasn't getting any money, and I was paying for quite a bit of stuff doing the IB Corp thing, so mm-hmm. it wasn't really like I was supporting myself, and I got the deal to go with, but like, I'm not kidding you. I just closed the van door, and I was packed up ready to go to California from South Carolina. And I checked my phone, and I seen an email from Stefan at Bud Racing. And it's huh. like, oh, you want to come to Europe? And he gave me the contract that night. And no,
0: really? Wow. You were like, you were driving. You were ready to go.
1: I wasn't quite driving. I yeah, yeah. closed the doors. Like, I was just about to leave the next morning at, like, yeah. 3 in the morning. And yeah, yeah. About that, and unloaded. And I ended up staying. They wow. sent a bike at Kawasaki, and I ended up getting a little bit of time on it there. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild.
0: That is kind of crazy. I didn't realize how it worked. Okay, so you knew Darian. I didn't know that. So that's your in right there. Um, Really interesting and cool thing going on, whether it's Thomas Covington a few years back, uh, Darian Sinai now in MX2, uh, Tristan Charbonneau, and you are teammates, like you said. There's these, I mean, you three guys, uh, Charbonneau, yourself, and Sinai, I mean, good riders, good results here and there in America. And you're all over there, and I got to be honest, man, I, it takes a lot of balls on your part to to go there and do it. I, I don't think I would, man. It's so different. It's so, you know, it's such a different culture thing. And so props, man, like to all of you guys. I appreciate
1: it. It's, no, I, I mean, it's ballsy. What really helps is, like, as a privateer, I, I wasn't getting any support for, you know, any of the training fees or the, the flights, whatever it would be, and... But I really have to give it up to them. They, you know, they treated and treated me with the best they could, and like I never felt at all in France. Like, oh, you know, I I, I never felt scared or like uh-huh. like I couldn't handle anything. They always had me covered for whatever I needed. Made me feel like part of their family. So, luckily, I I had a great experience with it, and it wasn't a hard transition at all, honestly.
0: Um, well, wow, that's cool, yeah. And so, did you make any money? Like, is this is this a future for you? I, I mean. Do you see yourself uh, moving up, just like Sinai, just like Covington, and all that?
1: Uh well, kind of, because uh, I mean, I'm I'm like 99 percent sure I've I've got something done. I actually signed the contract last night, and um, for next year, and it's for the MX2 class, doing a, with the Honda team in Europe. Oh, okay. I'm just waiting on that, uh, to sign it back and you know verify everything. But oh, we're, break, like we're, everything breaking, n- we're breaking we're breaking
0: news here. We're breaking news on the yeah. Race Tech Privateer Island Life.
1: Yeah, I really haven't even told anybody about it yet. So it is, it is it. But um, no, it's looking like I'm going to be yeah. racing a 2018 Honda in the MX2 class for for next year, and wow. probably going to be okay. heading back to Belgium in like a month or so.
0: Well, look at you! Look at that! So who needs Supercross, Welton?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I only ended up getting two supercrosses into my life, and I've trained for like three years in a row. And I don't really know how that matters. So.
0: Um, back to the money wise, did you make some money? Was was the ride in EMX? Uh, was it? Did it? Did, did you do all right?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely was ahead of where I started. Yeah. Okay. Not enough. I spent a lot of money on food, especially because yeah. it's hard not to. But how good it is there, it's like I, I didn't even want to cook for myself when. There was three cafes right around the corner that were all every they made all their dishes and everything homemade every day, so uh. it was really tempting to not go spend money. It's hey <laughs> I yeah, cost I was there, I go ahead. You know, like, I
0: but um Um cost of living's high. Whether it's diesel or it's, gas or food or whatever. It is high over there. It really is. It's not cheap. Um, where where's Bud Racing located in France? Where, what part?
1: Yeah, it's in it's located in hostigar which if I if I were to stay in anywhere for a vacation or anywhere, I would go back and hang out in Haftagor. It's like the surf capital of Europe, and all of like, the big brands are based out of there, like the the GSM, which is like Billabong, Element, and Hurley. The GSM headquarters are there, Rip Girl headquarters. Pretty much any major surf brand is based out of Haftagor in Europe. So it's like that was awesome because I got to try surfing, and there's mm-hmm. a bunch of shops and tourists, and it was fun. Um. Like the, the living was great, the training was terrible.
0: Why? What do you mean? Just because flat or something or what? What do you mean?
1: Uh, just just no track preparation. Like the most hardback tracks and rocky <laughs> tracks I've ever ridden in my life. I don't think they prepared one track all year. Yeah, it was just what, what the same thing every single day. I'll never <laughs> complain about it on, uh, on track again.
0: Hey, one day, one day at Yamaha, we showed up at Glen Helen and it wasn't prepped, and Chad went home. And I'm like, oh what? Like. Like uh, And this guy came from GPs, and I'm like, he probably wrote some you know, public tracks that were just hammered in Europe. But, uh, um, yeah, it's interesting. And now you go to these riding facilities and they're watered and dissed up and everything else, right?
1: For sure. it's, it's uh, Yeah, because I lived at Club MX for, like I said, I think mm-hmm. it was right around four years, and you definitely get spoiled there with tracks being everything is super nice every single day. And uh, with <laughs> Yeah, just like they right. don't even have the equipment to do it in Europe. There's a lot of the places they have the tracks, but there's you know there's no yeah. equipment. You don't see any tractor. I don't even know how they make the track because there's <laughs> nothing there to to make it or maintain it.
0: But okay, so on another topic though, do you think that's part of the reason? And this is something that we've talked about over here. These guys ride perfect tracks all the time. Uh, you know, it's they got man friends watering and disking and everything else. And USA has lost the motocross nations six years in a row. And some of our bike suspension at those races has looked absolutely like garbage. Um, riders have told me it's the roughest track they've ever had, like in Latvia and this and that. Um, there's, maybe there's something to that, huh, Marshall? Like the Europeans in motocross are kicking the Americans' ass. And a little bit has to do with just not being so spoiled.
1: Uh, I would actually have to say that's probably 90% accurate. Right? Because yeah. It, I the biggest difference for me in the in the European versus motocross debate is the technicality that Europeans have even just like a local French rider you can just see how much skill they all have on the bike because mm-hmm. they're used to riding the hardback and whatever else where you need where and they it's, they ride with their tires like bald there's they don't they'll ride with like the most bald bridgestone tires and they'll still look like they they're getting more traction than i am sure yeah and yeah. it it's pretty wild because it just shows that you don't need that to look good and a lot of times the stuff they train on is is really rough and nasty so i think a lot of it has to do with this riding position itself i learned a lot this summer with i trained with Thierry Vandenbosch, he's like a, a six-time World Supermoto champion, and he he is actually the trainer for the MX and Nations of France team.
0: Okay, and
1: yeah. He, he, he was my trainer all year, but uh, he's the most technical guy I've ever worked with, with as far as detailed in the riding. And I, honestly, I just learned so much, especially on how to ride hardpack. I didn't mm-hmm. need to ride sand enough to be able to be good at riding sand. But.
0: Um, did you and Tristan live together, train together, practice together a lot?
1: Um yeah me Tristan and his mechanic, Kate, and we lived together and our the house is like a block away from the shop okay. in in france so uh it was perfect location. We did ride together sometimes uh he had a little different different program that he liked to follow was, he didn't ride as much as i did i am okay. the type of guy that I need to ride like three or four days a week to, to feel comfortable and uh-huh. in it where he's kind of got the more natural standpoint where he can just go jump on a bike, and he you know as long as his body's fresh he goes fast so um well,
0: well he beat you he, by he, he beat you by twelve different. points in the, in the e m x series by the way, so yeah
1: that's quite upsetting because <laughs> i I went into the championship ahead of him, and I ended that last race with two d DNFs.
0: yeah so. yeah, not so good, right um no
1: it, no nope, it sucked
0: so um e m x class like I, I I've watched a few of them with uh the gps I've been to. How competitive is it? How what? I mean, this is kind of the few, this is where teams are looking for MX2 guys. But what how would you find the competition?
1: It, it's for sure not as elite as the MX2. Um, it, it's fast because I, I mean my best finish was a third in Portugal. But mm-hmm. comparing time to time, like times versus MX2 times versus EMX, for sure the depth is not there in the EMX, and it's you know it's not as gnarly as the MX2. There's no doubt. I think there is, like, those guys that come through, like Prado or even Sinai, and uh, what's his name, uh, the Husky rider, uh, Thomas Kier Olsen. He won the EMX Series last year, mm-hmm. and they're all amazing riders. Like, they, pretty much half of the MX2 has came to the EMX, honestly. But Sure, yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. I think it's maybe just being on the MX2 stage. It, it causes you to rise up without you even, you know, just subconsciously, doing it and uh-huh. uh i i just don't think at the race the mx is as gnarly as the mx too for sure did you get lonely over there how was it yeah i did get a little lonely yeah um at the end i made some friends some locals in france that spoke english but that's the problem with living in france is the language you just can't yeah. go up and talk to anybody or meet new friends because yeah a lot of the times you you can't talk to them. No, what about
0: what about a girlfriend or a chick? Did you did, I mean did you have one? Did did you meet a chick? Yeah, at, Ch- at
1: the end I started to see someone pretty heavily and I think it'll probably end up working out when I go back because oh, wow. coincidentally where the new team's located is only like forty minutes from her house. So I don't know how that worked out but <laughs> It's not like I chose. Like, okay, I choose this team because it's close to this girl. Because <laughs> right. I didn't have options. It was kind of just like, you know, this team approached me and they're interested in me. And if I if I don't go with them, I, I don't have anything at all for next year. So uh, it's not like I chose. Right. You know. Oh, this is, this is what I wanted <laughs> because of her. But Did I don't you, know how it worked out like that. But I'm not mad about it.
0: No, no doubt. Did you? Could you not go back to Bud uh, for next year? If was that not an option?
1: No, no, they didn't give me the option to come back. I think they're just looking for more younger French guys. Yep. Um, with me and Tristan both being there last year, I think it was, you know, a pretty decent expense for them paying yeah. us both salaries and then paying for, for our living, for our rent in the house. And for sure, just like when they're, and also just having to deal with two foreigners all the time, not speaking their language, and yeah, I think it'd be easier for them if they just had a you know like a local native in France. that is right. young and still lives with their parents they don't have to worry about all the other stuff that comes along with it
0: um who so. was the guy at bud in the wheelchair he's the owner
1: no that's uh the owner's brother okay that's,
0: uh sebastian yep good dude i talked to him a few times i liked him i oh, thought talk- um, yeah both awesome yep, yeah yeah sure. uh, i met him with dv of course uh, they're all buddies with dv and i've seen him at the, at the american races and over there um geez, Marshall, you're going to get a beret and start smoking pretty soon. You got a new French chick. You're going back over there. Like it's, it's you're, you're all in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay, so you got called up to do some MX2 last year. I was following that. Um, you wrote for Dixon. How does that work, though? Like, is that cool with Bud and, and all that? Or and, and Dixon just can reach down into EMX and pull somebody up? Yeah, you
1: know, I, I was kind of doing the communicating through it all um, after the, I think, I don't even remember. I think it was actually Portugal. After Portugal, there was a big break and in the EMX series. So I just stepped into Stefan's office like I did pretty much every day and started talking with him. And um, I just told him that, you know, I'd be interested in stepping up to the MX2 class if there was any Kawasaki teams or anything available. Would you be all right with that? And he said he has absolutely no problem with it because, he knew even before the season started. My goals for next year were to race the MX2. So mm-hmm. he's his whole program is based off, you know, progressing riders and to turn them into, you know, to champions or even, but be- you know, just to make them better. Like he has like ten examples of riders he's done it with, with like Mousquin and Paulin and Benoit Petrell they They've all been on Bud Racing. So um, he, I just talked to him about it and he said, yeah, as long as the sponsors aren't conflicting. Um, There'll be no issue at all. So I sent an email to the CLS Kawasaki team to see if they had an extra bike and mm-hmm. also another Kawasaki team and then Dixon as well. But since the Dixon people speak English, and I've already been over at their rig a ton talking to Darian throughout the season, right. I was familiar with them all. And, yeah, it just kind of all clicked mm-hmm. together, and he offered. So
0: That's awesome. So you went 11-11 at Checo. MX2.
1: Yeah, I, don't, I got a little bit lucky because it scored me a ninth overall. But Oh, nice. Um, yeah. both, both motos I started about, um, I don't know, like 15th, and I had to work through the pack a little bit. And my fitness was definitely my strength that weekend because uh-huh. I was always there at the end of the moto. But my weakness was the beginning laps because – I think if I was a little bit more aggressive and faster at the beginning, I probably could have moved up into, like, seventh or something and then kind of ran that pace. But I a struggle all year with the comfortability of just sending it with the first couple laps. I'm never very good at that.
0: How's your sand skills?
1: Yeah, they need some work. <laughs> no Baja
0: Acres growing up or nothing?
1: Yeah, but Baja's my stomping grounds, actually. I only live an hour away from okay. that, it, it's just a whole another, whole another animal. Like the it is, uh, is wide open, and there's no technicality. You just go. As fast, you just hold it wide open, and if you have some big balls, you can go really fast there. But yeah. there's from a technicality standpoint, there's there's no setting up lines or you know standing excessively. It's mm-hmm. just hold the bike wide open and go. Where in Lamo or any sand track in Europe, that's all it comes down to is technicality and you know, looking ahead, thinking ahead, and using your legs properly, and that's what I, I lack this year, I think.
0: Um, it's interesting to watch those guys ride sand or mud. They seem like they're in a way taller gear. They seem like they're not really moving around very much. The bike's in a low RPM. It's a different breed of animal, those guys, man. They can ride it.
1: Like, cra- Like it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's impressive, and it's a little bit depressing for me to watch because it's like... <laughs> I don't understand it. It leaves me like mind dumbfounded. But right. Hopefully this winter, if I, because my plans are to go to, uh, go to Belgium in the beginning of December and that's mm-hmm. going to be like the gnarliest time of the year there and it's going to be snowing and wet and rainy and hopefully I can get some good mud riding and sand riding and get, you know, turn that weakness mm-hmm. into a strength. You're going to head over to that early, huh? Yeah, the team wants me to come and do all some right. testing and get some good off-season training in on the bike. So,
0: um, so no regrets for you on this career path. Like um, I'm sure you follow the nationals and you follow supercrosses, you know, on the internet. But uh, no regrets, huh? You're,
1: you're all in. Uh, not yet. No regrets. Um, yeah, there's even some nights I'd stay up to 4 a.m. watching the supercross or national, whatever it right, was. Right. Right. So, just because sometimes, if it was an off weekend or something, I was sitting there bored and mm-hmm. I wanted some. you know, like you want to see what's happening back home.
0: Uh, Race Tech Suspension Privateer Island Life, number 28 with Marshall Welton. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please use the code Pulpamech17 when you check out at racetech.com. Uh, get your oil changed, get your motor work done, get the right spring right. All sorts of things you can do for your suspension, and Race Tech will hook it up, including installing their world famous gold valves. You ever use Race Tech, Welton? Ever?
1: Mm, I want to say I
0: have, but I haven't. You, know, you should. You should really try it. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, Think about it. <laughs> um, the MA- how do you like the uh, the presentation, the way the GPS run, everything else? It's such a change from America. Everything's like you're you're there early. You it's casual. There's a lot of riding over the weekend. Um, do you like all that? It, 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 sometimes when like. You've raced the American Series where it's just you show up at, at 7, and, and before you know it, it's 6 o'clock, and you've done two motos and two practices.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I like is the consistency. You, you can show up every single time at the same time you go to the gate, and you can be 10 minutes before the moto, and it's it's there every time. There's no, like, questions at all. They're always perfectly on time, which maybe in America it has been, too. I kind of forget, but it's just everything is – is always really organized, and I like that part about it.
0: Um, what about the riding in the weekend? Do you guys? Does EMX get as much uh, as much time on the track as the uh, GP
1: guys? Yeah, that's the bummer part about the EMX because we don't we only go on the tracks three times. It's uh, you get you're pretty much the first one on the track in the morning. Okay. You forty. Minute, you get a forty minute session, and it's a uh, thirty five. I don't thirty five or forty. You get fifteen minute free practice and twenty minutes of qualifying. So it all happens at the same time. It's really difficult to learn the track and do the qualifying all in the same session. And and it seems like every guy was, every time the qualifying was two seconds from non qualifying to qualifying. And um, that made it pretty difficult for me. At the beginning, I, I did an LCQ and mm-hmm. it was really, really embarrassing.
0: It's <laughs> really uh, embarrassing. It,
1: it's bad, though, because. I, I I had to go to the LCQ and then I come in the pack. I start last place and I move up to like seventh place. And it's like that's not someone in the, what, who goes to the LCQ. That's no. not where they should be. No. Um. But, um so yeah, the track time it's three times or six times. You get six times in the GP class. Yep. And three times in the EMX.
0: And as we talked about with track prep, they just run it. They just run it.
1: <laughs> mm, yeah. What What they do though, it, it's Track prep's for sure better in America. The GP guys, they'll water or they'll they'll dig the track and then they'll just water the shit out of it and that's it for the <laughs> that's it. practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't like re-dig it after they water it or water and dig. It's, it's just they dig it and then make it a big sloppy mess. So the EMX <laughs> just pretty much goes out in the mud. box yeah. the EMX uh, tune in the track, get it money for the. Money for the GP class, and then the GP class has a pretty decent track. By the time the EMX is swapped around, <laughs> yeah. What well, time you guys break
0: it in, right?
1: Um, That's pretty much what we are. It's just the EMX guys are track drummers.
0: Have you become friends with any GP guys, or have you? Have you I mean, I different schedules and different. You're not at all the races and all that, but have you become friends with some guys?
1: Uh, a few of them. Just um, uh, I don't really go around searching to be friends. I just. Darian and Thomas and Mm -hmm. anybody I already kind of knew when I was hanging out with them but no for sure I didn't I know know them by faces a lot and like I can go and shake their hand and say hi but as far as true friends or real friends not, not so much no um
0: so you've rode, you rode Bud does a lot of work on bikes that's how they make their money you know they're a pro circuit of France let's call them that and uh and Steve Dixon makes some some really fast bikes as we've seen over the years how were the, what were the differences in the two bikes you rode
1: Uh yeah there's honestly when I first got on the Dixon bike it it almost didn't even feel like a Kawasaki <laughs> because of how different it felt from mm-hmm. the Bud bike I, with the chassis setup being KYB and also a three gear transmission, and just the way the whole power was on the Dixon bike, it it didn't even feel like the same brand. But um, both have their advantages. The Bud has really good bottom and a hard hit, and it's consistent on the hard pack where the Dixon is. It's really smooth with the power. The bottom end is a lot less with the the three gear, and just you know the way the power curve is. But it revs way higher than the Bud bike. It goes. It just keeps revving. There's no. No stopping to the revs, so that was yep. that was for sure. The bonus on the Dixon bike was the over rev,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, you know anybody's ridden their bikes, and they talk about how fast they are. Steve's really got got it going on. You know what I mean? I mean, there are some DNFs in there. Let's be honest, but he he can also make, yeah. them, make them work pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah I had uh, one or two DNFs in the qualifying races when I when I used it this weekend, but mm-hmm. or and, uh, when in when I used in the it the yeah. that I filled in. But um, luckily, I didn't have any issues in the the real ones. Um, What's
0: the biggest thing you miss from USA when you're over there?
1: Just just being able to, like, um, share the weekends with my friends and Mm -hmm. be like you can't – I didn't have many people I could enjoy the experiences that I got to see with. So that part was probably the biggest loss. You know, you get to see all the cool places – when we went to Italy, seen Lake of the Gods and went to the Austrian mountains mm-hmm. and seen Russia and was, like, on the, on the coast of the Black Sea and stuff, and it was, like, it, it was awesome to be able to see all that stuff and to experience living, you know, we would stay up in the mountains and these little, like, uh, B&B hotels, and mm-hmm. it was awesome to do that, but... I just now, when I look back, I don't have anybody I can share that with, and that's that's really the biggest bummer.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, what's the best thing about living over there?
1: Uh, I don't know if I can pinpoint it. It's just a, it's a different feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Just just how serious the racing is taken at the races. That was great. And oh really? Like I said, yeah, that, yeah. The um, like I said, where I lived in France is quite special because of. It was like a vacation town, and everything was really laid back. Kind of like a French California-type style, but um, I can't really pinpoint it. You know, the greatest thing, the food was amazing, I could say that.
0: Saying quite special means you've been in Europe for a while, by the way. Yeah. That means that. that's how you speak to people who don't understand English or you've got broken English. Quite special. Yeah, that's, a, that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> so. they,
1: they say. They say the word normally a lot, too. They don't use typically, usually, most of the time. Yeah. It's only normally. You hear the word normally every other word.
0: How about uh, when they ask you how the bike makes it, makes the power? You make the power.
1: Yeah, sign language. <laughs> you go. You go high and then low. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, well, that's awesome, man, that you're going to stay over there next year and hopefully this MX2. I mean, you said it's 99% sure. You're at MX2 on a Honda team. Um, that means a lot more flyaways, but uh, it also means, uh, you know, a real real big stage and uh, a real chance to, to make a name, you know. Um, it's it's exciting. I I I think that, like I said, that Thomas Covington and yourself and Sinai and and Charbonneau, you guys should you guys should be applauded for this because I, I don't know if I would do it, man. I, I'm I'm impressed that you guys are like taking a different path to to making a living in motocross. You know? Yeah. Thank
1: you. No, it's cool for me. I don't I don't even take it as taking a chance. I just take it as getting support, or I'm getting support as well. You know, it's <laughs> right. really hard to find support in America, especially for. He's that 10th to 15th place guy. Yeah, it's hard, and, and I don't. know, I'm just doing what I can to to continue racing, trying not to resort to going back to my old man for the funds or anything. Yeah, and that's the goal.
0: Um, when we saw you over here in America, uh, Justin Barsha was giving you some help, and uh, you're a friend of yours. You still talk to him? And uh, yeah, just, yep,
1: yeah. We we still talk a little bit. Um, Justin's awesome. From everything he's done for me, I can't say a single bad word about him. and um, now it's cool. It sucks about his deal with JGR and everything. That mm-hmm. kind of fell through. But um, he did quite well, I thought, last weekend for what he had and what he finished at Monster Cup. I thought he did pretty good with with everything that happened. He's in a pretty bad crash in the first turn with Geyser. So mm-hmm. bounced back well.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. It was cool that he helped you out for a little bit there. That's awesome of him to do that. There's nothing in it for him, really. You know what I mean?
1: No, no, he he really did as much as he could, too. I mean, he gave me the bikes. I was his roommate for about seven months going back and forth from Charlotte to Florida. Mm-hmm. He gave me access to his two amazing Supercross tracks, the JGR Supercross track. And, like, you know, you just can't buy those things. No, so no, not at all. It's just nice to, uh, to be able to be a part of what he, he gave me.
0: What's your best Filthy Phil story? You've got to have one in your time of hanging out with him. I
1: don't know. Just uh, um,
0: did he did he always try to make you buy whenever you went out to eat or anything or? <laughs>
1: no, but you will never like even if he, a couple times I tried to pay for his meal or something because he did something nice for me. Yeah, and he he won't let you like he he won't buy it for you, but then you can't pay for his either. Like you <laughs> know this weird thing about paying for food. Like no nope, no nope, no nope, no nope, no. Nope. Like he just completely yeah. refuses. But um, playing – there's this drinking game in the offseason I played last year when I turned 21. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to it. Um, It's called hockey. And uh, he is just an animal at this game because he's – what you do is you you put all your drinks around in a circle and you flick a quarter. Mm You flick the quarter at the the person's bottle you want to drink. And um, when – (laughs) <laughs> like, for some reason, Phil's really good at flicking the quarter and making people drink. <laughs> Who knew? You should, Who knew? You should just see how aggressive he gets playing this game. He will stand <laughs> up pretty much on top of the table and scream until, like, you, <laughs> you finish drinking, and it's yeah. a little bit embarrassing. But yeah, luckily a- I don't. I, I barely drink, so I do see. But, I mean, it, it's just <clears throat> funny because, like, two beers later, I'm completely trashed. And yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> but he's just standing on top of the table screaming in our faces <laughs>
0: like a drill sergeant or something oh <laughs> exactly. um, uh hey not hard to uh to look at somebody like zach osborne who is is following or you are following him a little bit um in in your career and look at somebody like zach osborne and be like man that could be me
1: mm-hmm. you know i actually kept in contact zach always kept some tabs on me this summer and it was really nice uh to talk to him when like, it, like I I'm, I was just surprised that he would, he kept up with me and he was always mm-hmm. checking my results and even my lap times and it was it made me feel really good that like someone to his caliber took that much notice and in to my racing and everything so it was awesome to to see him at the nations and everything and catch up a little bit but mm-hmm. yeah he's awesome and it, obviously it's like the goal I I want to be I think everybody and motocross wants to do what he did and win sure. that, yeah. the supercross and outdoor championship that's that's just the ultimate goal but
0: no absolutely and uh, and also too Amart and Zacco on team Puerto Rico and then on team USA Marshall so, yeah you know um yep. it's so funny to look back at at uh, Amart and Zacco and Phil when they were doing Puerto Rico and you know they didn't have much of a career going on in America and they were just kind of fill-ins and you didn't really know much about them, and now look at these dudes. You know what I mean? I mean, why Why not? Why couldn't that be you?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, that's what I want to be. I look up to every one of those guys, even Phil. Um, even Phil. <laughs> even Phil. Uh, but, no, I mean, that's why I, I try to base my life, my goals and stuff, off of what they've done. I try to take as much advice as I can from them and learn. You know, it's it's what I want to do is race, and I want to win. <laughs>
0: yeah no absolutely man i think it's awesome i think it's it's super cool race tech suspension privateer island number 28 marshall welton uh thanks for your time today man i really appreciate it uh let's try to keep in touch as uh before you head over and and when your news drops and all that we can uh we can talk about it some more and uh maybe the pulp show or something like that and and good luck man It's, it's it's really awesome what you're doing and i'm following the results and I'm looking at my, scratching my head and going, maybe some other American kids should think about that. I mean, I wouldn't, but I think some other kids should.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No problem.
0: And uh, talk soon, man.
1: All right, sounds good.